Please take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to John chapter 16, please. John chapter 16. Our theme of our series has been close to Jesus in the upper room. They've, Jesus and the disciples at this point, I believe, if I understand the passage correctly, have actually moved out of the upper room, and I believe they're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane with the events of chapter number 16, really in chapter 15 as well, the vine and the branches passage. And now in chapter 16, we saw the first part of the chapter, the Holy Spirit was introduced as the Spirit of Truth. And that was a very important topic to cover. So we spoke about the spirit of truth last Sunday morning, and then we did a follow-up on Wednesday night. So if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those because really it has a lot to do with the spirit of the age in which we live and how this day and age in which we are living, the answer is found in the spirit of truth. So, again, I'm not going to preach that message all over again, but I would encourage you to take time to listen to that if you missed it. Well, this morning, I'd like to speak to you about the joy of Jesus, the joy of Jesus. And we're going to begin in John 16, and we're going to look, and we're going to start in verse number 16. So, John 16 and verse number 16 I want you to notice the opening phrase as we set up the passage today. The opening phrase, three words, and I'm going to ask you to read them with me. In fact, each time we see them, I'd have you say it. Ready? Begin. A little while. A little while. And ye shall not see me. And again, a little while. And ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Verse 17, then some of his disciples, um, then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us a little while? What is it that he says to us a little while, and ye shall not see me? And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father, they said therefore... What is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. That's a common theme for the disciples. You can back up. We're not going to go in there. But that's a common theme for the disciples when they say at the end of the verse, we don't understand what Jesus is saying. We don't get it. Well, what we know because of what happens is Jesus, when he says a little while, he's speaking of the events that are going to happen in the very near future. Literally, he's saying, in a little while, like a few hours from now. Now, if you've been following along throughout this series, what is about to happen a little while from now? The crucifixion. And then when he says to them, in a little while, you're not going to see me, but then you are going to see me, but it's going to be for how long? A little while, right? What he's saying is, that he is going to be, what, what he's explaining to them that they don't understand is the timeline of the next 40 days. What's going to happen is he's going to be crucified and they're not going to see him. But he's not, it's not going to last for long. It's only going to last for a little while. But then they're going to see him again. And we know from the record, they don't know this yet, that he is going to spend 40 days post-resurrection teaching and appearing to many and making his resurrection known. He's going to spend 40 days. But at the end of that little while, he's going to what? He's going to go back to the Father. He's going to ascend to the Father. So Jesus is explaining to them the things that are going to happen immediately. But then what happens next in the rest of the passage, and that's what we're going to look at today, in the rest of the passage, Jesus is going to repeatedly speak about joy. He's going to tell them about happiness. Now, I find it really interesting that in the immediate hours before his coming death on the cross, that Jesus would be speaking about joy. 
If you knew that your execution was just a few hours away, you probably wouldn't be thinking joyful thoughts. But Jesus, this reminds me of the passage in the book of Hebrews. And as you think about the cross, and now, now it's important that we don't look at this and say, well, Jesus was full of joy because he knew he was going to rise again. He knew it's all going to work out. That, that, that really undermines the agony of the cross. In fact, in, in just a few hours, Jesus is going to pray, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Like Jesus did not have some some strange or deranged desire to, to suffer and to experience the pain. It wasn't, that wasn't his chief motivation. But look at what it says in the book of Hebrews. And, and I think this is a wonderful cross-reference to help us understand this passage. Hebrews 12 and verse number 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, next three words, what are they? Endured the cross. Why did he endure the cross? For the what? For the joy that was set before him. Because he knew that the cross would ultimately bring joy. That through the suffering of the cross, joy would come. And who would be the recipients of that joy? We would be. And because of that, Jesus rejoices in us. The cross brought forgiveness and hope and salvation for us. And that joy is what Jesus looked forward to. And so it says that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy is a consistent theme throughout the New Testament. All over in the New Testament, you'll see this theme of joy. Phrases like, full of joy. And some, sometimes when you, when you look at that, and I've heard people have a discussion, you know, that there's a difference between joy and happiness. But ultimately, in the Bible, we're speaking about the same thing. There, is a, there are levels. How many of you have experienced that there are levels of joy or happiness in your life, right? There's levels of joy and happiness. It's like if you go to the coffee shop and they get your latte just right. Just right. And, and I'm not going to single out you know, which places consistently get it right and which places it's hit or miss. But when you go... Like, for instance, every now and then on my way, because I'll travel over Route 2 quite a bit, several times a week, and every now and then I'll stop at Shelburne Coffee Roasters. How many of you know what I'm talking about there, okay? And every single time, they get it right. They get it right. And you know what? When they get it right, that is a level of joy, is it not? Now, some people will, some of you are just way more spiritual than me, and you're like, I cannot rejoice in such worldly pleasures. Just, you know, can't do it. And that's fine. You know, you're there. I'm down here with the rest of where all the rest of us are down here. That's okay. All right. However, I think this is important because of what I want to explain, and then we'll get into the text, is this. There is a human experience with joy, and then there is an experience of joy with Jesus. Now, some people will say things like that, like this. You will never experience joy without Jesus. Well, I don't think that's the most helpful way to witness to people or explain the faith with people, to people. Because the fact of the matter is, every single human being experiences joy in their life. Do they not? Every person does. If you would tell me that the only way to find joy, any joy, is through Jesus, I would say, well, you know, actually, my, I get a lot of joy when things are going well at work, don't you? I get joy, I get satisfaction in, 
getting my, I like to grow plants, and, gar, and Deborah does the garden, I do the trees, well, we, we, it, we, we cross over a little bit there, but there's joy in seeing that growth in life. There's joy that we see in our children. Can you experience those things even if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You can. You can. And I think that's an important, an important starting point for us to acknowledge because God has given his grace to all of humanity in a measure. So any taste of joy that we experience, whether it's to a Christian or a non-Christian, that joy still comes from God. But there is an important distinction. There's several distinctions, but, but this is what I'm pointing out. Notice this. Our human experience with joy is, first of all, fulfilling. If it was not fulfilling, people would not do things to try to bring more joy into their life, would they? But they know, if, if, if I can bring joy into my life, then I will experience a level of fulfillment. But secondly, the problem is, with this, is, the problem is this. While, while our human experience with joy is fulfilling, it is circumstantial. What do I mean by that? I mean, the joy is there so long as the favorable circumstances are present in my life. Remove the favorable circumstances and the joy is not present. It's circumstantial. And then thirdly, our human experience with joy is temporary. After all, we go through peaks and valleys in our human experiences. Some of the valleys are deep and dark, some of them are short, but either way, you have gone from a day where you're just like, man, everything just feels good, my life feels full, so fulfilled, everything feels so satisfied, circumstances change a little bit, or maybe drastically, and then the joy that you had yesterday is replaced with a burden and sorrow, depression, etc. today. Because our experience with joy, in a human sense, while it is fulfilling, it is circumstantial, and it is temporary. Let's go to joy with Jesus. I almost, almost lost it there. Let's go to the joy of Jesus. It is fulfilling. It is unconditional. It is not based on circumstance. It's based on his presence in my life. So if the circumstances become unfavorable, that doesn't have to change my state of joy because Christ is with me. And then it is secure. It's eternal. It cannot be taken away. And Jesus is going to explain those things in the passage. So understand that everything you've experienced in your life that is, is joy is just a taste Every human experience of joy is just a taste of the ultimate fulfilling joy and happiness that comes through Jesus. And it is only made possible through the cross. It is only because of the cross. Now you'd say, well, why is that, Ethan? Because it is impossible for me to have access to the joy of God as a sinner, as a sinful person, I have been separated from God, I've been separated from His righteousness, and that means I've been separated from His eternal joy. So God made a way, and Jesus made a way. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. Jesus knew that in a few hours, He would go to the cross to bring men and women who were willing, men and women who would say yes to Him, to bring them into the fullness of of joy that could only be experienced through him. And that's what Christ has in mind in this passage. So if you turn over in your notes with me, let's talk first of all, number one, about the joy of the cross. The joy of the cross. Verse number 19 is where we are now. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said, a little while, and ye shall not see me? And again, a little while, and ye shall see me? He says, do you want to understand a little bit more what's about to happen? Verily, verily, I say unto you that ye shall, what are the words here? Weep. And next one, lament. 
Why? Why would they be? Let's make sure we're all following together with this. Why would they be weeping and lamenting? About what? About witnessing his death. They're going to witness his death on the cross. He says, in just a little while, you will be weeping and lamenting. But the world shall what? Rejoice. But the world shall rejoice. As we think about this joy of the cross, we need to understand something here that Jesus taught in this passage. The world's joy can be the Christian's sorrow. The world's joy can be the Christian's sorrow. You see, Jesus is crucified on the cross, and at that moment, Jesus said, who is rejoicing? When he's crucified, who is rejoicing? The world. The world rejoices. Now, what is that? The point is this, that in the, when Jesus speaks of the world here, he's speaking of the system of the world and the system that all men and women are under. In fact, when it was Pilate, when Pilate said, what would you have me do with Jesus? This one who is called the king of the Jews, what would you have me do with him? The whole crowd cried out what? Crucify him, crucify him. And the fact is, when, they, when those words came out of their mouths, crucify him, crucify him, they were simply the words of the spirit of this world. You see, the, the, the spirit of the world cannot, cannot rejoice in what God rejoices in. And God and the Christian cannot rejoice in what the spirit of the world rejoices in because they are opposed to each other. And when you turn on the television or you look at social media or you see what goes on in some of the school systems and in education, and when you say, I don't understand what is going on, it is because you are watching before your very eyes our culture being given over to the spirit of the world. And so what you see, politicians and media personalities and educators and, and people in general, what you see people celebrating is what today, today is what brings sorrow to the heart of God. And what should bring sorrow to the heart of the Christian. Because the spirit of the world that... When the, when, the spirit, when the world rejoices, it's the Christian's sorrow. You see, the spirit of the world is, Jesus must be crucified. It was okay for Jesus to do, to do some miracles. It was okay for Jesus to feed 5,000 people at one time. They were okay with all the benefits of Jesus. But once he says he is the Son of God, once he says he is the exclusive way, that there is no salvation apart from him, the spirit of the world says, crucify him. And when they crucified him, they rejoiced. And all of the, all of the, the, the demons and the devils for three days, they thought they had gained the victory. They thought that they had won. They thought that he had been defeated because the Son of God lay dead in the grave. But Jesus said, in verse number, in verse number uh, 20, the world shall rejoice and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Because that suffering that led to death would ultimately bring resurrection. And Jesus' resurrection proved that through the sorrow of the cross, life would triumph, joy would triumph through the resurrection. The world's joy is the Christian's sorrow but sorrow turns to joy for the Christian. And can I share this with you as well? That principle extends into the sorrows that you experience in your life. The apostles would write of this later, that the tribulations and the sorrow that we go through are working a far greater weight of glory in eternity. That for every sorrow you experience on earth, there will be a greater rejoicing in eternity. Because the joy that Jesus brings, if the cross, 
if the, if, the, if, if the most ugly and brutal death on the cross and burial in the, in the grave could lead to a joyful resurrection, so can the difficulties, so can the sorrow that you and I experience in this life. It leads to joy. The joy of the cross. You say, well, okay, I need an, I need an illustration to understand that. And Jesus says, well... Have you ever witnessed a birth? Have you ever witnessed a birth? Verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, that, that word literally means labor pains. When she is in labor pains, has sorrow because her hour is come. There is sorrow. There is pain. There is agony in the, in, the, in the delivery of a child. And I've witnessed this four times. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And it is, the, it is the, the, the experience of sorrow and pain and agony that is then instantly transformed into the outstretched arms of a mother that just grabs a hold of that baby so close and so tight and in the greatest joy. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Jesus says that this is the kind of sorrow for, that he would experience that would lead to joy. Because through the agony of the cross, there would be many sons and daughters born into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. And Jesus would endure the sorrow for the joy of welcoming you and me in his arms as his family. It's beautiful. The same thing will happen for the Christian. It's a joy that the world cannot understand. That though we sorrow now for a season, we know that there is a homecoming day. We know that there is an eternal day where the Savior's outstretched arms wait for us. When we lay hold on eternal life. This is the joy of the cross. It's illustrated in the pain joy of the birth of a baby. So Jesus talks to them about the joy of the cross. But then secondly, he speaks to them about the joy of knowing him. And I'd like to show you this, the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. So if you are a person that says, well, yes, I've experienced joy, but I, I, I don't know if I, if I need Christ. What we're saying is there is a whole new level of joy and fulfillment and peace that he's opening our eyes to here. And so, the joy of the cross, now the joy of knowing him. Verse 22. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will, what? See you again. I will see you again, and your hearts shall rejoice. And your joy, no man taketh from you. What he's saying here is, listen, you are going to think that you have lost me. You're going to think that you've lost me. It is hard to lose a loved one. It's a painful experience to lose someone that is close to you. But it would have been a more traumatic experience for these disciples to have lost Jesus. Because Jesus had come, what he, who he had come to be for them was more than they'd ever experienced from any human being. I mean, you think about the, we spoke a few weeks ago about Mary Magdalene and what, what she had, what, what, what she had, what Jesus had done for her and how her whole life had now been given to him. Jesus would have had said to Peter, when everybody else left Jesus, when all the other um, surface level followers had walked away and, and the thousands were gone and it's just Jesus and the disciples, he looks at them and he says, are you guys going to leave too? And do you know what Peter said to him? Peter said, well, he said this. He said, where else would we go? To whom else would we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. In three and a half years, Jesus had become to the disciples the most important person in their life by far. And in just a few hours, they're going to think that they've lost him. It's the ultimate, it's the ultimate letdown. It's to have staked your entire life on something, your whole hope to be on something, and now for it to be gone. And Jesus says, you're going to think, you're going to have sorrow, but you're going to see me again. You're going, I am, I'm not going to really be gone. Your relationship with me will not end. And because of that, there is a joy that cannot be taken away. Every joy in this earth that you experience through a loved one, that you experience through a relationship, it can be ended and it can be replaced only with the memories of that person. But the joy of Jesus is eternal because he is eternal. The joy of Jesus cannot be taken because he is always with us. He says, you will see me. Now look at this. It says in verse number 23, And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. What is he speaking here of? He's speaking, obviously, of the joy that can't be taken from this relationship with him, but it is a joy in prayer. It's a joy that's being offered in prayer. What he's saying is this. He says, uh, back it up to verse number, I think it's 23. Let's go back to verse number 23. Right. And in that day, ye shall ask me nothing. So understand the, the concept here. If the disciples had a need or a problem, up until now, what would they do? They go see Jesus. And maybe they'd, they'd talk among themselves, what do you think about this? What do you think about it? And someone would say, well, why don't we go ask Jesus? We need something. We've got a question. Let's go ask him. Jesus says this, in that coming day, you are not going to be asking me. Who are you going to be asking? The Father. Boy, we take for granted the access that we have to God in prayer. And we do not realize the joy that comes through prayer. That Jesus said, now you are going to go straight to the Father in my, what? Name. As one of the, when I was a kid, you know, you learn, your parents teach you how to pray. Thank you for the food. Blessed to my body. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And at the end of the prayer, in Jesus' name I pray. You know? And if you were my brother Aaron, you could pray faster than anybody. And it's just like a couple of syllables, let's eat, right? You just, boom, you're through it. But that little thing, that, that little statement that we end our prayer with, in Jesus' name. Do we understand the significance of that? That the only reason we have a right to pray is because of Jesus. We pray in his name. And Father, you hear us because of your son Jesus. So we come in his name. Listen, listen carefully when a politician or a public figure offers some kind of generic prayer to God. You know what you'll often hear missing at the very end of that prayer or at any point in that prayer? The name of Jesus. Why? Because the name of Jesus is an offense to the world. So people will pray, oh, gracious God, we ask that you would, you know, bless this land, this city, etc. Amen. But we as Christians understand that the only right to prayer is to come boldly in the name of Jesus. And that's a joy that I don't have to go through a priest. I don't have to go through a mediator. It says in, in the scriptures, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I don't pray through a priest. I don't pray through Mary. I don't pray through saints that are dead and gone. I pray in the name of Jesus. And I can have a joy and a confidence that because I come in his name, he hears me. He hears me. 
I've had people ask me to pray for them before, and I'm happy to pray for anyone. And we should pray for each other, right? But so long as I've had, and I know most of you don't believe this, but every now and then someone will come and they'll want me to pray for them. And my dad's experienced this over the years because they think that we have some, like, like a better line. You know what I mean? Like, you're all on 3G, but we've got LTE, right? It's just like lightning right there. You're still on dial-up, but we've got, you know, fiber optic cable to the throne room. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The most backslidden, undeserving, disobedient child of God, if they will come with a humble, penitent heart in the name of Jesus, has just as much access as the most famous preacher in all the world. Because we don't earn our access. It's given to us through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, you're just going to ask the Father. Previously, he told us that we're going to have the Holy Spirit. We're going to ask the Father. Like, this should give us joy, folks. Like, this is something that we, that, and we're just like, but we, we, we but do you know what the fact is? I, I think the problem is, is we have become too intoxicated with the human forms of joy that we experience that we don't realize the joy that just comes from knowing God. We miss it. We're deadened to it. But if we could quiet the noise around us, we'd think about these words of Jesus. That's why we take time to do things like have a church gathering a few times a week. That's why you take time to read your Bible, to pray. Because the, the spirit of the world just, just tries to silence the voice of Christ. And we take time for things like this to let the word minister to us and let the spirit minister to us in Jesus' desire for us. There's a joy in knowing Jesus. It's a joy that cannot be taken. It's a joy that we experience in our prayers. And it's a joy that is a confident joy. Let's pick it up in verse number 25. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, or parables, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. You're going to understand things about God that, that you don't even understand yet. We spoke about this last week and Wednesday, about how those things would later be revealed to us in the New Testament, the rest of these books. They're going to be, they would be revealed. What Jesus is saying in John 16 is then revealed in the New Testament. And so he says, I'm going to tell you more about the Father. Verse number 26, And at that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. I, this is really cool, that he says you can just go straight to the Father. You, it, it's not that I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like, hey, Father, did you, did you hear, you know, those, those Christians down there, my children down there, they want something? They need something. Would you do that? I'm not going to go to the Father for you. You're going to go straight to him. The writer of Hebrews said this, that we may come boldly before the throne of grace. Boldly before him. We sang that song, only a holy God. He is the, the holy God, unapproachable in holiness, but Jesus gave us direct access to the holiness of God. Now look at this. Verse 26. At that day ye shall ask in my name. And I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. Verse 27. Would you read this first statement out loud together with me? For the Father himself loveth you. Could we reread that back to Jesus here and we'll substitute the pronoun you for me? For the Father himself loveth you me. The Father loves me. Some people grow up with an unhealthy view of God. It's almost as if there's the Father in heaven that's just waiting to send down lightning bolts to blow everybody up. But then, fortunately, he let Jesus, you know, like, stand in the way. And he let Jesus, you know, kind of appease him so that, so that uh, so, so God sends Jesus. Jesus is the one who loves us, and then he kind of cleans us up so God can even stand to look at us. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's a view people have of the Trinity. It's totally unhealthy because it cost the Father everything to send the Son for us. 
It cost the Father everything for Jesus to die. For God, the Father, so loved the world. There's that word again, the world. The world who what? Rejoiced at the death of Christ. God the Father, He loved the world. You see, God, yes, God is just. Yes, God's wrath must be poured out. But God's desire is to not pour out His wrath, but to pour out His love. So He gave Himself in the Son so that you and I could be recipients of His love. But, but many people, but now imagine to have been given that love, have that love displayed on the cross, and then to say, no, I don't want Jesus. To reject God's gift of love and to hope to escape his justice. It doesn't work that way. You can receive his justice or you can receive his forgiveness because Christ took justice on the cross. But there is, there is because look what it says. I'm kind of getting ahead of the text. Why why do we get to experience the love of the Father? Jesus says in this verse, because what? Because ye have loved me and have what? Believed. Believed. Now, we understand that you can say, I love Jesus. You can say, I have believed in Jesus. And that... Those can just be empty words, right? We understand that faith without works is dead. If nothing changes in your life, it's very unlikely that a real faith experience ever happened. So just to mouth words, I believe in Jesus. But what happened in the life of the disciples? And what's happened in the life, hopefully, of all of you What's ha what happened was a true heart of love and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, which is different than earning his love. Okay? This whole believing versus earning, it's a really crucial distinction in Christianity. People will say, well, you know, don't... You know, don't we have to, to, to do good works and go to church and do all the things we're supposed to do? Those are the fruits of a true faith. But if we put them, if we substitute them in the place of faith, we nullify faith. Because the point is this. Am I saying to God, well, you should love me because I do all these things for you? That's what some religious systems teach. If you boil it all down, say the prayers, do the exercises, behave this way, because that will prove your love and that will make, you, that will make God look favorably upon you. But the Bible says that God commendeth his love toward us, Romans 5.8. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The death of the cross the identity of who Jesus is. You step into the love of the Father. You step into the love of the Father when you recognize who Jesus is and you place your true faith and trust in Him. And then He changes your life. But you can't get those things backwards. Because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. He says, verse 28, I came forth from the Father and I've come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. So this joy, listen, the joy of knowing Jesus comes through believing in him. If the joy of knowing Jesus was based on performing for him, could I have any confidence in his love for me? No. No. Because I would never know if I've measured up. I'd never know if I've done well enough. But it's, it's a confident joy because it's not based on my performance. It's based on my faith in Him. So maybe you're here and you, know, you need to let go of some of your own efforts. 
You need to let go of some of your own religious performance. And maybe you need to repent of that in your life and say, Jesus, I've done all these religious things because I was trying to earn your love. I realize I could never earn it. I'm too guilty. I'm too sinful. Thank you for dying for me. I will trust your cleansing power. That is, that is the moment of true belief in Christ. Put your faith in Him and Him alone. So there's a joy of the cross. There's a joy of knowing Jesus. And then finally, there's the joy that overcomes. Look at verses 29 and to the end of the chapter. His disciples said unto Him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly. Now, no more parables, Jesus. Let's, let's just, we want, to, we want to understand straightforward. And verse 30, now are we sure that thou knowest all things and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this, we believe that, that you came from God. But notice what Jesus says to them. Do you now believe? Do you really believe? Yeah. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. But I'm not alone, because the Father is with me. They were so confident in themselves, weren't they? Oh, now we've arrived. Now we understand. The good news here is what you're going to see is this. Jesus, because of his love, he gives them a joy that overcomes their inadequacies. The moment we feel that we have got it, the moment we feel that we have arrived, that we understand that we've got this Christian life thing down, do you really? You brave disciples, you? In just a few hours, the soldiers are going to come and you're going to be like rats off a sinking ship. You warriors of the faith. Do you really believe? But despite their inadequacies, despite their lack of faithfulness, Jesus would still be faithful to them. He would still be faithful to them. And listen, you and I are going to have moments in our lives where we disappoint ourselves, where we disappoint each other, where in a way we, we disappoint God. I'm sure it was disappointing to Jesus to see them leave, but that disappointment did not bring his rejection because they were unconditionally secure in his love and they had a joy that even they themselves couldn't mess up. So if you've failed this week, or if you're going through a season of inadequacy and failure, understand that Jesus has made you an overcomer. In fact, he says this in verse number 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have, what's the word? Peace. A friend of mine, she and her sister, um, we're not raised in a Bible-believing Christian home, but they became Christians in the last few years. And her sister got married recently, and I, she shared with me some words that she said at the, at the wedding. It was just really beautiful. And she talked about her, her sister moving across the country, and nobody understood why she did that. But in her move, she became a Christian. She came to know Christ. And then nobody understood why she would move back up here to, like, most people, it's a one-way trip to Texas or to California or to wherever. Well, California doesn't have to be a one-way trip. That could be two-way. That would be okay. But anyway, um, most people, you know, they, they, it's like, well, why did she come back? And it was through her coming back, she shared Jesus with her sister. And her sister became a Christian. And she said to the whole group at the wedding, she said at the wedding, she said, and it's just a short three-minute three minute speech, she said, and, I, and since I came to know Jesus, I've had a peace in my life that I've never experienced before. And she shared with everybody at that wedding, and if you'd like to know about that, I'd love to talk with you about it. And I read this, and you know, I, I watched that little video, and I'm a little bit choked up seeing it. But she talked about that peace. This is the joy that we're speaking of. It's a joy that overcomes our inner struggles. Our culture today talks about like our inner demons, etc., or the things that, that get inside of our heads and all of that. 
Jesus says, I want you to have peace. A peace that passes understanding. A peace that the world would say, well, look at what happened in their life. How could they still be at peace? Doesn't mean we don't struggle. Doesn't mean we don't go through hard times. Doesn't mean we don't grieve or cry or just get worn out. But inside, there's still, Jesus says, I've, I, I've come that you might have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Do you see how he finishes it? In the world, you, you're going to have tribulation. But cheer up. Cheer up. That almost sounds like a platitude, doesn't it? Like I'm going through a hard time. Well, you just need to cheer up. There was this old song we learned at camp when I was a kid. It went, cheer up, ye saints of God. There's nothing to worry about. And we had this guy that was a, that was a um, he would teach the kids songs and stuff. And he made us sing that song in a Scottish accent for whatever reason. He's like, and she had to roll the R's like, cheer up, ye saints. And I'm like, okay, when you're a kid at camp, that's like the funnest thing in the world. You know, it's like, cheer up, ye saints of God, there's nothing to worry about. And he's like, that's about all I can do in Scot in a, with a Scottish brogue because he drilled that into us. And, um, and it sounds from the, from like the first, it sounds like just like a cheesy greeting card. All right. It's like, I'm going through a hard time. Jesus says, well, be of good cheer. Cheer up. But what did this one say? Cheer up, you what? You, ye saints of God. The holy ones that belong to Jesus. What does Jesus say here? Despite the tribulation, despite the difficulty, despite the circumstances, be of good cheer. Not because of some rosy optimism. Well, I, you know, things will get better. No. Because of a certainty. Because the conquering Christ, the champion, has already defeated the world. Be of good cheer, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. So I come to two questions at the end. If you are a Christian and you're going through stuff, be of good cheer. Because he's already overcome. Cheer up. Doesn't mean you have to put a plastic smile on your face. But it means you need to look for that settled peace and contentment in your heart. That Jesus has already solved your problem. So, what are you struggling with? And will you find your joy back in Jesus today? So that's the question for the Christians. But then there's a question for those of you... You'd say, well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I thought I believed in Jesus. I've, has there been a time in your life? Has there been a moment that you can say, yes, I know for sure that I've repented of my sin. I've repented of my pride and my, my way of thinking I could please God or ignore God, either or. And I put all of my faith and all of my trust in Jesus alone. Has there been a moment when that's happened in your life? Because if not, that is the answer to the joy and the peace that your heart craves. It's through Christ and Christ alone. So would you put your faith in him today? Right now we're going to have a time of prayer. So would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. So it's, This is a good time in the service for each of us to make a decision. At this moment, we think about what we've looked at in the Bible and we apply it to our individual situation. So the first group were Christians. Christians, how many of us this morning, you would say, yes, I've been struggling with this area right now in your heart. Why don't you give that to Jesus? It's a, you just pray to him. Don't waste this opportunity. Be prayerful right now. Second group, if you're here or you're watching and you have never received the Lord Jesus as your Savior personally, or if you're not sure that you have, I want to invite you to make that certain today. You say, I'm ready to do that, Ethan. I'm ready to put all of my faith and all of my trust in Jesus alone. What do I do? Well, you simply believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. And you can pray something like this. You can say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. 
I know that there's no peace without you. But I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead. And right now, I ask you to save me. I put all of my faith and all of my trust in you and you alone. If you did that this morning, if you're in the room and you say, yes, today I made sure, I made certain that my faith was in Christ alone. If you did that this morning, no one's looking around, but I want to pray for you. I won't embarrass you, but we just slip your hand up and put it down. Say, even today, I, I just made sure, hand up, hand down. You say, yes, pray for me. I made sure. If you're watching, yes, I see that hand. Amen. If you're watching on the live stream or you're listening to this message later and you say, yes, I just put my faith in Jesus, would you send us a private message so we could pray for you? Christians, let's just take a quiet moment now and spend time in prayer with the Lord. Father, we thank you so much for the goodness that you've shown us. Thank you most of all for the cross of Jesus. Lord, you are so worthy of all of our love. You saved us. And you've given us a joy that is inexplainable at times. But I pray that we would just be a grateful people and a, and a people that are bold in our witness to show your love and show your peace to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.